So, two weeks ago when we were together, um, we uh, saw that due to the persecution of the church, and we're, again, three weeks ago introduced to a person named Saul, and we'll pick up who Saul is a little bit more next week, but due to that persecution where he was going into people's houses and dragging them out, uh, that people fled. And we follow one particular person. He was one of the deacons that several weeks ago um, we saw in Acts chapter 6 was selected to, you know, as a man of wisdom and, and full of the Holy Spirit, um, just like Stephen, that he fled to Samaria. And then as he went to Samaria, he shared the gospel with the Samaritans. Samaritans received the Holy Spirit, and uh, we, see, we, we saw that a, a gentleman named Simon, who was a magician, was rebuked for wanting to buy this gift. And uh, I was trying to kind of quickly go through, <coughs> you know, this, this uh, you know, um, I don't know, this narrative and, and kind of get the highlights of, of what was being talked about. But, you know, sometimes kind of questions come up, and it's either like what, you know, the church is dealing with, um, you know, as far as broadly, or uh, just things that, I don't know, you know, in my mind, I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with that later. But one of the things that kind of came up was the fact that the Samaritans hadn't got, you know, they, they said that they hadn't received the Holy Spirit until they believed in Jesus. <clears throat> uh, but it wasn't until John and Peter came that they received the Holy Spirit. And so it kind of brings up some questions about what did that mean to receive the Holy Spirit. And as we go through Scripture... You know, sometimes we come with like our theological biases and perspective, and so sometimes we want to just kind of let Scripture speak for itself. Now, this is one of those passages that if you let Scripture speak by itself in isolation, you might end up landing in, a, in another, um, you know, a, a place of thinking that, you know, maybe you don't receive the Holy Spirit until somebody has to bestow it upon you, or maybe that's like a secondary act um, so you do have to, you know, you want to let speaker, Scripture speak for itself, but you also want to let other portions of Scripture speak to what, what um, you know, is being said. And so you start out kind of near context, you know, what does it say in the passage? And then you kind of go to the broader context, you know, the author, and how does the author use this similar language to kind of explain, you know, what's going on? Because again, this is just, you know, Luke's concern is not, let me dive into this theological concern. I mean, he might be thinking like I'm thinking like, oh, this wouldn't be a big deal. I'm just kind of talking about, you know, what went on and not really explaining, you know, what, what I'm meaning by what's being said. And then you go to other places in Scripture, how do other authors who are also inspired by the Holy Spirit deal with this matter? But really what we see is, and all through the book of Acts, you know, we sometimes say that it's the, uh, the uh, expansion of the church is kind of a theme of the the, um, the book of Acts, but it's, you know, also, or, or you know, we have that, that term Acts, it's the Acts of the Apostles is usually traditionally how uh, the book is described, but we also said when we kind of did an introduction that you could also say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because you see the Holy Spirit all over the pages of Scripture and how the Holy Spirit kind of guides the people. And so here in one aspect, we see that they, the, the Holy Spirit, they had not received the Holy Spirit. And so what did that mean? Um, well, Acts kind of, you know, several places talks about the Holy Spirit. So I kind of want to just kind of touch on this and then we'll kind of go to another, another issue and then we'll get to what we're talking about. But in Acts 10.38, 
um, you know, if you just kind of did a study of like the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is mentioned, that, uh, you know, it, it's described that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit in order to do different acts um, and signs and miracles. And so that term anointed with the Holy Spirit kind of gives you this idea that would you say that Jesus did not have the Holy Spirit, um, you know, early on in his life? Well, no, because he's, you know, he's God. He's one of the members of the Trinity. But as you think about how the Holy Spirit, you know, the two members of the Trinity kind of interact, the Holy Spirit is a guiding, uh, the guide for Jesus in his ministry. Um, where the Holy Spirit takes him into the wilderness and the Holy Spirit anoints him to do, you know, certain, certain things. Like he submits to the Holy Spirit for uh, certain aspects of, of uh, demonstration in his ministry. And then Acts 10.44, so a few verses later, as, as this is being explained, it says that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. Um, and so we see that, uh, that the Holy Spirit one is anointed. Uh, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. So there's something, some aspect of the Holy Spirit doing something in the lives of these people. Fast forward five chapters later, because this is when uh, Cornelius, um, and we'll get to this, uh, is, you know, the Gentiles are saved, and Peter's explaining what happened. Well, five chapters later, uh, they start wrestling. Paul has to go to the apostles uh, and say, like, hey, what's, you know, how do we deal with these Gentiles? Do they need to be circumcised, and do they need to adopt certain Jewish customs? And uh, as they're kind of talking about what's happening in that, in that, um, you know, as God is moving and kind of expanding to who, you know, who he wants to, uh, it says that God bore witness to the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us, having cleansed their heart by faith. And so we see that, that there is a bearing witness that the Holy Spirit does. So there are kind of different aspects of what the Holy Spirit its role is in the life of the believer. There is the Holy Spirit's role in salvation, uh, bringing to a person to faith and believing. But there's also an aspect that the Holy Spirit shows a demonstration of the message that is being proclaimed. And in the early church, you see that demonstration sometimes in certain signs and gifts. And you have to go to other places to really then drill down a little bit deeper as far as whether those gifts are still active today. That's not really like what my desire is, but it's kind of like what aspect is this looking at of the Holy Spirit there in this verse. Um, Acts 19, uh, there's a group of uh, disciples of John the Baptist, and they said, you know, we follow John the Baptist, and, you know, we're disciples of him. And uh, Paul says, well, you know, have you, have you received the Holy Spirit um, when you believed? And they said, no. They said, we hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so he said, okay, well, you followed John the Baptist's ministry of repentance, but, uh, and again, we'll go a little bit deeper into these things as we go along. You followed John the Baptist's um, message of repentance, which is true, but you're still under the Old Testament of waiting for this Messiah. Now, let me just connect the dots for you. This is the Messiah. And then they're like, oh, and then the Holy Spirit was poured out on them as, again, another witness to the fact that, you know, that now they had been, had, they had been saved. Um, Romans 5.5, 5, when we start talking in other places in Scripture, um, we see kind of less so the demonstration of the Holy Spirit doing certain acts, which we see visibly in Acts. 
Um, but Romans 5.5 5 says God's love was poured into us through the Holy Spirit, that we have a confirmation of uh, who we are. We are able to actually love others, and we can go to different places. You can go to Galatians and talk about walking in the Spirit versus walking in the flesh and those aspects. Titus 3, 5-6 through 6 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, when He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's role is, you see kind of this renewal aspect. There's never um, this understanding that when you know of the Holy Spirit's role, at least from Paul's perspective, when he kind of talks about this, that and then you spoke in signs, remember, and then you did these things. He does talk about gifts, but he talks about them secondarily to salvation. So the Holy Spirit isn't just you know there are there the Holy Spirit has a um, active role within the believer's life, not just in this like one-time demonstration or you know certain um, miracles that that can be seen or can be done. The Holy Spirit's role is to really you know to give power to the believer to be sanctified all throughout your entire life. They're not just instances here or there. It's Walking in the Spirit continually, daily. And Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 kind of confirms that when Paul says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And there's nothing, you know, in that passage, and even beyond that passage, the whole, the whole context of that passage is submitting to one another in, in either a husband and wife relationship or children and uh, parents or even uh, slave and master. In that context, and there's never anything that says something about needing to have the Holy Spirit poured out upon you in some sort of sign or gift or wonder uh, that is being done. So you see that kind of like how Paul says, you know, when you say, he says, actively be filled with the Spirit. But there are things that aren't demonstrations or signs that necessarily need to be done. Anyway, I just kind of wanted to touch on that. And again, we could spend like several weeks talking about this because it is such a big topic. Books are written uh, on this topic, and there is a lot of confusion. But if you just stopped in that one passage and said the Samaritans believed, and then Peter and, and John came and then poured out, you know, uh, gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, you might be like, well, you know, right there it's clear that this Holy Spirit is like a secondary act. Um, but I just wanted to, again, say this is kind of how we land on some of those things. Again, using Scripture kind of, uh, kind of you know, help us understand what happened in, in this narrative and kind of give context to that. Um, the other thing that kind of came up was, you know, we have, have Simon, you know, the magician, and kind of one of the things that I talked about was that he wanted to kind of purchase this gift of the Holy Spirit. And we said, you know, again, the Holy Spirit... The role at this time was to kind of confirm through signs this message. And so I think it was Anthony that asked, you know, said, well, couldn't, the, couldn't Satan do the same thing? Because we kind of talked about like Pharaoh's, um, uh, his kind of magicians that he had. They kind of replicated some of the signs that God did during the, the plagues. And so couldn't Satan do the same thing to confirm his message? And I would say, yes, he, he does that, right? There's, there's plenty of people that... Um, do not follow Christ, do not submit it to God because they believe in something else. And they have their own confirmation why they believe what is true. We would say that they're blinded. You know, they would say that we're crazy. And so it's not really until the Holy Spirit actually opens up their eyes to see 
that what they believed was false. Um, but we are all under, you know, uh, are all under our own Lord. Us understanding that it's the one true God, and they're under the Lord of whatever they want, you know, under the dominion of, of Satan. And so, uh, but sometimes when we stop there and say, well, you know, our, our God does signs and your God does signs, you know, well, so now we're at a stalemate, right? Well, you know, if that's all that we had for confirmation, yes, but we don't just rely there. And you can go even a little further and talk about apologetics and say, you know, so I kind of say this, this is more from a, you know, from a, a pragmatic or, I don't know, maybe philosophical standpoint, is that, um, that any worldview has to be consistent all the way through. So if you kind of study apologetics, how you defend your faith, is that at some point you have to borrow from a Christian worldview to make sense of the world around you, but you're kind of picking and choosing in order to make your worldview make sense. So since we live in a a world that is created by God, um, everything kind of points to God. And if you deny God, eventually you're going to deny the very framework that you, you know, everything that you believe in. And so anyway, that kind of gets to like a, you know, more of a, of kind of like how, how to kind of talk to somebody about their faith. You know, Francis Schaeffer said, you know, one, one way that you could um, uh, help someone understand what they believe is to keep pushing them to, you know, uh, the limits of what they believe. You know, if they, you deny God, how do you talk about existence? You know, if you deny God, how do you talk about morality? And at some point, their worldview can't stand with, you know, on, on itself because they really are borrowing from a Christian worldview. Yeah, I just kind of want to you know, say that as a message if we ever do an apologetics class again. I think I did one a couple years ago. But we get a little deeper into that. But anyway, it, it was a good question nonetheless. Like, how can we just say, you know, again, from signs or, you know, I believe this and, you know, that you believe that. You know, people are always converted into false faiths or religions. So how do you believe their testimony? It's, it's, it's a lot of things that go into it. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit has to open your eyes to see the truth. Tim. There you go. So I think even when I taught, what's that? That's quite an infomercial. That's, that's quite an infomercial, yeah. So, he set it up. He did. And I, I, I referenced uh, his book in some of the, some of the things that I taught because uh, he, he, he does a really good job. Um, anyway, so uh, that would be probably a good, a good uh, whet your appetite because when you do apologetics, you kind of have to like think and let it sit and kind of think and let it sit. But it really does kind of shore up some of the things that we believe and kind of understand like how, how we address other faiths. So that's, that's I, would, I would recommend that, especially... Is that the same Saturday as the biblical counseling? Yeah. Okay. Maybe you can uh, have, have it live streamed or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
Probably not. No, that would be bad. I'd have to cancel. So, all right. Um, so let's kind of dive into what, what we're going to talk about today. And I'm really excited to, to talk about where we are today. It's kind of one of these, like, fun um, <laughs> portions of Scripture. Uh, and so, um, and I think it's very applicable. And, you know, anyway, it, it hopefully will help us uh, kind of confirm how the Lord works in our own lives. Um, Kind of, kind of thinking about this. Um, have you anybody you ever? Have you guys ever like run into somebody and talked to somebody and had a conversation with somebody and just kind of felt like after you were done, you're like the Lord kind of like set this up. I feel like at some point, like all of us have maybe had that interaction. You know, just like ah, I just really needed like to hear from that person, or you know, maybe it was just a text or something. You know, you were on my mind. I don't know what it was, but I decided to call you, and and somehow you're just like wow, I just really really needed that. Or some like, you know, met someone on an airplane and started talking to them and I don't know, just kind of the conversation went in a direction that you were like, wow, I don't know. I never expected that. Um, I think sometimes those conversations help confirm the fact that when we have other times where we're like, you know, we have conversations and we're like, oh, I didn't really go how I planned. And, you know, I didn't say what I hopefully maybe wanted to say and some of those things. And I don't know, as I was talking about talking to somebody the other day, they, they said uh, their husband went to Virginia Tech. And I was like, oh, I remember visiting that campus once. And it was interesting. I went uh, into the, I was only there for like three or four days. I went to their weight room and I was there for like five or ten minutes and I saw my best friend from fourth grade. I hadn't seen him since fourth grade, but it was like weird, you know, uh, I don't know what, how, how many years later. But it was like we looked at each other and kind of said each other's names. And it was like, hey, what are you doing here? And, you know, whatever. And, and then that was it. We kind of like caught up for a few minutes and then had to go our own separate ways. Um, but I was just, I don't know, as I was trying to think about that, I was like, it was just interesting how sometimes you run into people. Like you might be in another state. I've had this happen where you just run in, you're like in another state or another country, just run into somebody and you're like, this is bizarre that we saw each other. And uh, the Lord, you know, does that. You know, you know, we can often say things are coincidental, right? But we, we know better. Um, and so sometimes the Lord sets up these things, you know, again, we might be cognizant of uh, his working and uh, feeling, you know, his working in our lives. And sometimes we just don't even recognize it. And so um, that's kind of what we're going to look at today. Uh, and, and kind of continue to follow Philip. Remember, he went to Samaria. So he kind of went from Jerusalem, and he went directly north up to Samaria. I'm not sure exactly where he was headed, but we might figure it out when we find out where he ends up going ultimately. But he kind of flees from Jerusalem. says he went down to Samaria. As he's there, he's preaching the gospel. And then verse 26 of Acts chapter 8 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem, to Gaza. Um, so, could be that he was still in Samaria, um, but when, the, when Peter and John had come to Samaria and kind of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Samaritans and says that, the, that they went back to Jerusalem, it's possible that Philip went back to Jerusalem with them and followed, then was prompted there. But we don't exactly know where he was, but it says, you know, that uh, in verse 25 that um, they... Not sure exactly who they are. Could just be John and Peter. They returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But we then see the angel of the Lord said to Philip, I want you to go up, get up and go to the south towards uh, Gaza. It says, this is a desert place. Um, Gaza is near the coast. It's about 50 miles southwest of Jerusalem. So if you think, where's that marker you had? Put him back. 
since we gotta get a racist anyway. Is it up here? My, my crude Israel. All right. <laughs> Jerusalem. Jerusalem's there. <laughs> and some of you guys will be like, you're not, you're not quite right. All right. So we've got uh, Samaria there. And then you've got Gaza over here. And so there's a road that leads to Gaza um, down towards the south. And then we go towards like Egypt and then down into Africa. And uh, so, so Philip is told to get up and go. Um, now, who's telling Philip to go? Right, so so the Holy Spirit, well, we say the Holy Spirit, but more specifically, we see an angel of the Lord says to him, rise and go towards the south. So we've got a direct command, right, from, from uh, an emissary of God to get up and go to Gaza. So, he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, it says a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. All right, do you guys all know what a eunuch is? <laughs> it's either, that's one of those questions you're either like, no, I don't, or yes, I do, but I don't really want to say it. So, uh, a eunuch was typically somebody who was castrated for a particular role. Now, Jesus talked about eunuchs, and he said some were born that way, uh, and some were made that way uh, for the kingdom of God. I think it was um, Origen. There was a church father who actually followed this scripture a little too literally and castrated himself uh, in order to feel like he was doing the work of God. Um, that's sometimes where you say, like, you know, a wrong hermeneutic can have, uh, <laughs> can have awful consequences. But in any case, a eunuch um, uh, at that time, uh, was somebody who was, who's, uh, was given this way. You know, Jesus did say some were born that way. Um, but often on, on purpose in order to watch over something that was precious to the, uh, the king. Often it was a harem um, uh, of a court official, uh, you know, the, his, his, the women that he had, and so that they would castrate him so he would be able to watch them without, you know, anyway. Taking care of him. You know, you can fill in the dots. So, uh, so that's all we know about who this person was. It says he was an Ethiopian. So he was from a country south of uh, Egypt uh, in Africa. There's some debates as far as far as whether that's Ethiopia itself or a country named Kush, uh, an area. Um, in any sense, it really doesn't matter. But from Africa, though. Um, the word Ethiopian that actually is translated means burnt face. So somebody, and, and because of the dark skin, that's like why they were given that name. So somebody from Africa, dark skin, so not from Jerusalem, not your typical Jew, not someone from Egypt or from any other, any other place. And um, it says that he was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. That, actually, that word Candace, uh, most scholars believe, is a word that is actually Kandake, uh, the C is actually a, a K sound, Kandake, and it was more like a title, uh, like Pharaoh. So it wasn't an actual name, but it was a title, you know, Pharaoh. There were many Pharaohs, but they had different names. Um, it could be a woman uh, named Amentore who ruled from 80, 20 to 50. Um, not much is known about her. Doesn't really matter. In the end, this is somebody who's come, who's got a, a position of status, 
um, in Ethiopia. If you actually look in church history, there is kind of a Christianized colony that actually happened uh, in, in that part of Africa. Um, it could be as a result of exactly what, what happened here. There are, there are places, um, times in, uh, in history that you find that there is pockets of Christianity down the coast of, of Africa um, and so, again, some, some say that this might have been a direct result of what we see happen here. Um, how much influence do you think this man had? What's that? Probably a, probably a fair amount of influence, right? So if, if it's a court official uh, directly under the queen of the Ethiopians, probably, you know, again, a eunuch, so... Uh, you know, made for a particular role, um, that he has some sort of influence. Uh, and again, because of that influence, we might see that uh, the result of that later on um, as Christianity does spread in some of those areas in, in Africa. And again, Jesus is saying that, right? He says, be my witnesses um, in all parts of the world, starting with Jerusalem, uh, Judea and Samaria. And we'll see maybe how God reaches a particular part of the world. So it says, who, who, you know, what was he there for? He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So what is, it, what fact, um, what is the fact that he was in Jerusalem to worship indicate? Okay. Okay, yeah. What's that? Yeah, so he would have, he would have been somebody right, that, was, that was there for uh, one of the festivals. Again, that's probably why some of the, the things that were taking place. Um, but he was there, and, uh, you know, I don't know if he heard about the persecution that was going on. But um, he was there to worship God, right, has a reverence for God, has a scroll uh, of or portion of um, of Isaiah, and is able to read that. That wasn't something that everybody had access to. So it also shows that you know why maybe this person had this because he was a court official. Maybe could have afforded this, and who knows? Maybe he was you know going to bring back Judaism, or you know he he is somebody that uh, had some Jewish influence down in uh, in where he was at. So we see kind of these two people's lives that are uh, set up to intersect, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But as we kind of think about the background, you know, how is, how is God leading both of these people? So Philip, how, how is he being led? By the angel of the Lord, right? So, so Philip is, you know, he's gone to Samaria, he's being brought back to, you know, being told, I want you to go south, this is not where I want you to be. You know, because Philip has in his mind where he's headed, uh, but the angel of the Lord says, I want you to get up and go. And Philip gets up and goes, right? Usually an angel tells you something, you, you do it. But he's, he's being obedient. Uh, how, is, um, how is this eunuch being directed? Do, what's that? By the word. By the, well, by the word. We'll see that in a second. Um, so far... Uh, we, we just see he's kind of following his own course of life, right? He, you know, again, we don't know much about him or his background, but he came up to Jerusalem to worship. He's going back to where he's from. And, you know, Philip is told, I want you to go to the road where he's going to be going back to where he's from. So he is just on his normal course of life, right? 
Um, you know, a lot of us are going through our daily habits and daily routines. We're just come here, go to church, you know, do go do our thing, grab lunch, whatever. You know, we have our kind of course, and sometimes we feel like, you know what? I feel like the Lord is saying, I need to go here, or I need to call this person, or I need to talk to this person. And we're going to see how these two things kind of intersect in this particular particular point. So, kind of the first point, you know, kind of be made from those first first few verses is that we're following the Lord's prompting. Whether it is conscience or whether it is subconscious, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we know that the Lord is always working uh, in the lives of individuals. And so next we see seizing the opportunity, seizing the opportunity. So verse 29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran, ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before us, its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Okay, so we kind of pause and we say, like, so what, what's Philip's role in this encounter? Since he goes to a desert place, right, so again, it's not an area of population, seemingly like he's on the side of the road in an area that's kind of remote. That's kind of what we're we're assuming here. Um, And the chariot is going by, right, so the chariot is moving at a particular speed. How is is Philip's, what does it say that Philip did? He was ran, right? He heard, like, go go up to that chariot. It wasn't like the chariot stopped and he's like, hmm, which way should I go, right? The chariot is kind of moving, and as he's running, what does he hear? He, he hears him reading Isaiah. So you're like, what's the, what's the chances of this gentleman having to read out loud? I don't know how many of you read out loud, um, but you know, he's reading out loud as he's going through this. He happens to be reading a portion of Scripture, and Philip you know, hears it. And then what does Philip do? Okay, he challenges his understanding. Um, and so, you have to kind of stop and think, right? You know, the God, like God said, I want you to go. Now, what did he say? What did, what did, what did uh, the Spirit tell him? Join yeah, join his chariot. At this point, we see the Holy Spirit's like active role in prompting, like consciously uh, kind of pull back. And so now it's up to, to Philip to kind of take over. He didn't say, I want you to go share the gospel with that guy. He didn't say, you know, I want you to go explain this uh, portion of Scripture to him. He said, I just want you to go and then take care of, you know, you take care of the rest. So, he's reading this portion of Scripture. And uh, we see that we've got God's direction and Philip's responsibility intersect here at this moment. Um, How so? How do these two things intersect? We got God's God's prompting, God's direction, and Philip's responsibility. Come to a come to a crossroads. At this crossroads. God directed Philip to a specific place for a specific reason, but yet Philip had to be obedient. Okay. Okay. All right. So so we see here, right, that while God is sovereign and God moves and God's spirit is coercive, at some point there is, a, there is also responsibility for us 
as believers to um, be faithful to the Spirit's prompting, right? And God said that even when, you know, even when you speak, that the Spirit will help testify to you. So it's not like, again, it's like once, you know, like, all right, now you take over. Um, but it is kind of this interplay between God's prompting and also Philip's responsibility. And so here's kind of a portion of Scripture that helps us see those intersections, as we also see in other places where God has, you know, God commands that every person believe, but we also have the responsibility to believe as well. And so those two things will intersect. How all those things play out, we're not, you know, we don't have a clear understanding of that. We just have kind of these, these inferences that are seen clearly in Scripture. And so there's a portion of, uh, you know, of Scripture uh, that, is, that, that this guy is reading. And so Isaiah 53, if you, if you, go, you know, go to that whole passage, and maybe we should go to that whole passage, um, just to kind of see what, you know, the context of what he's reading, right? So Isaiah 53, I'll just start reading one and you guys can can kind of catch up. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Kind of interesting right there. (laughs) For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And if you pause there, you're like, wow, like, like that would be amazing. Again, we don't know, again, this guy's situation, we know he's got some sort of responsibility, we know that... You know, we, we, we may know from historically, maybe he was put in this position and had things done to him that he probably didn't, you know, go with. But, you know, he was, he's kind of got all these things going on. And maybe, you know, there's these things in his heart that he's kind of, you know, that the Lord is kind of working on. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is the verse that, that he is at. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living and stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering Offspring, he shall prolong his days. The Lord, uh, the will of the Lord, shall prosper in his hand. And so, this is again right in the middle of you know towards the end of of this passage that he's reading this. And so he says, "Do you do you know what you're even reading?" And so, one again, we see even like you know the the willingness of the eunuch to say like you know, "Come on, random guy off the side of the road who's running next to my chariot, like." No, come on in. So we see, like, this guy wants to know, 
you know, what, what it is that he's reading. And so that, you know, there's times that, you know, maybe if you think about your own salvation that you read scripture and it just, you know, it was like seed that just kind of bounced off, you know, nothing really prompted your heart. You sat in church and you heard a sermon again, nothing, you know, nothing stuck, nothing, nothing took. But then there's that, there's times that all of a sudden you like start having this hunger and then the Lord opens up your heart, which is often why people kind of have that mistaken thought that like it's us who who chooses God that the Holy Spirit you know uh, has no role in that um, but you know we know that you know it kind of feels like over time like the Lord kind of opened up our heart until finally we made a decision to submit to to Jesus Christ which is when the Holy Spirit you know allowed us to see fully uh, God's grace and so he says yeah come up and sit with me again just you know explain this to me uh, because I am puzzled at to what, you know, he reads the verses to him, like a sheep who was led to slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens on his mouth and his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. It's kind of an interesting passage, right? You know, it's like the, the fact that this Messiah, which is spoken of in different places in Isaiah and the other prophets, um, was always kind of talked about as a conqueror. But here, he's talked about as somebody who's going to suffer, right, and die. And it's kind of like, you know, now I'm confused. Like, how is this, how is this going to happen? Um, and so I, I just, you know, I have no understanding about what it's talking about. And, and Philip to say, like, do you know who he's talking about? And he's like, I'd love for you to tell me, to tell me who he's talking about. Um, there is a video, I don't know if we'll, we'll get to it, um, but... I would I would recommend it, I would, and so I'll just kind of kind of maybe have a teaser for it. There's a, a video of a guy in Israel sharing the gospel to different Jewish believers. Um, it's called the Forbidden Passage. I think if you typed in Forbidden Passage Isaiah 53, it's about a nine minute video of of a, a Jewish man that is going up to Jews on the street, and you know he's got the Hebrew Bible and he says you know who, like just has them read out loud, uh, and so it's subtitled. Um, and so he just says, you know, who's he talking about? And it's really interesting, um, you know, their reactions to that. So I might, I might just show you kind of a little bit of teaser. Unfortunately, it's on a small screen in their subtitles. But you get that, and it's in Hebrew, so you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't understand it, which is why I probably won't, won't share, it, share it. But it's really interesting even today that as he's asking them, you know, who is this talking about? Some are like, I have no idea. And then some are, you know, some it starts clicking. Uh, the video is really well done, and it's and in the end, it just kind of shows like this guy's faithfulness to just kind of go up to him and say it's kind of like Philip in reverse, like him going and saying like, "What do you think this means?" and uh, and and the people don't understand. But it's it's a passage that's not read in um, in the synagogues. Be- What's that? Conveniently. Conveniently so, because you know, as as one of the gentlemen in the video will say, he's like, "Well, I know who you know, I know who." People say who this probably is. You know, it sounds a lot like who, what my conception of who I've heard of Jesus, um, and uh, because there is that clear understanding, like when Isaiah fifty three is read, and you know the life of Jesus and his death and suffering, that a lot of those dots would would connect. Um, but it says verse thirty four says, and the eunuch said to Philip, "Well, about whom I ask you? Does the prophet say this? Is it about himself?" Or is it about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. 
What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So it says that, I mean, it doesn't say what Philip said, but if we were to kind of like, what do you guys think that Philip shared with him? Knowing that, yeah, knowing the passage that he was reading, what do you think some of the things that he, he might have specifically said? What's that? Okay, you need, to, you need to be born again, okay? What does that mean? What goes, what goes along with that? If you just said, you know, you need to be born again, do you think somebody would have a conception? Like, Nicodemus, he was like, what do you mean, Jesus? <laughs> like, I've already been born. So, so what, did, what, what, is, what does that mean? What's that? Okay, so repent, right? There's repentance. John the Baptist preached that. Jesus preached that. Peter preached that. You know, when they said, what shall we do, right? In Acts chapter 2, Peter says, you got to repent. Okay, so you get turned from your sin. Um, and then what? He probably took him through the whole gospel. He probably started with God, who God was, and who Jesus was, and who man was, and how we're all have our own sin, and we're going to be sent to hell for that. And then he probably shared the good news with him, because he said he shared the good news with him. Okay. You got to share the bad news first before you share the good news. Okay, and for these Jews, right, you know, and, and again, Peter would have done that to his own brothers, right? Uh, Jesus would have done that, would have said, listen, you know, Stephen did that before he was stoned. Say, so listen, this is how God is working. And, you know, we've kind of missed, unfortunately, who the prophets talked about. And unfortunately, you know, we know that the prophets were, were persecuted for, you know, what they did. We know kind of, you know, uh, after the fact, I mean, you remember histor- history says Isaiah was sodden too uh, by Manasseh. Um, that, you know, he wasn't like revered as a prophet, that he was hunted down and killed. And, you know, the four, the Jews at that time would have been like, yeah, we made, you know, our forefathers would have made a mistake. And Stephen was pointing out, you're, more, you're making a mistake here. So this guy, though, he's curious and he's interested. Who's this guy talking about? And he probably was like starting to connect the dots, right? You know, God is doing this, maybe recounted some of, of Jew, the Jewish history. Uh, maybe the fact that like often, you know, people missed, uh, you know, um, seeing who Jesus was. But when he goes to this, uh, this passage that he suffered, uh, was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And he may have actually explained Jesus being before Pilate and not you know, you know, saying anything uh, back and just you know, was, was crucified for that. Yeah. Are they still doing sacrifices at this time? Yes, the sacrificial system would have still been going on at this at this time. Um, what did he buy the scroll in Jerusalem? What's that? Did he buy it? Did he bought the scroll in Jerusalem? Because when you think about not, they, those were not readily available. Yeah. You know, so maybe he maybe maybe Candace heard about something or whatever and say, hey, go to Jerusalem, get the scroll, see what's going on. Yeah. And it's possible he was going as an emissary. You know, I want you to go check this out. You know, I mean, we know that uh, that there are other um, you know uh, contingents from Africa that had come up to uh, you know to Solomon and you know kind of sought his wisdom. So there was there was kind of that uh, that he probably did buy it there. He probably you know. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. Again, all these things. All we know though is that Philip took the opportunity to take something that connected and resonated with him, this kind of curiosity, this kind of like, I don't know what, what it's saying, 
and took the opportunity for this, this uh, person who is curious and is wanting to know the answers. And he clearly then unfolded the gospel to him, whatever those details were. And again, it could be a long history. It could be something just quick, like, hey, this is talking about Jesus. And do you know about Jesus? And you know, it could have been like, yeah, I heard about Jesus. It's like, this is Jesus here. You know, he could have been in Jerusalem. He could have been hearing about the persecution against these Christians, right? This large group of people that had started coming to faith because thousands are coming. Like, he might have heard the politics and the things that are going on, the murmurings, being, you know, uh, again, an emissary, somebody who would have been in that, those circles. So we, don't, again, don't know the background. But all we know is that Philip was told to go, and that the eunuch had these questions, and that Philip answered his questions by pointing to the only source the only answer for all the questions that we have in our heart, which is Jesus. And so what was the eunuch's response? He wanted, he wanted to be baptized. So it might have been, too, that, you know, as Peter said, as the Jews were like, well, what do I do, right? Because Peter just said, you crucified Jesus, right? This is your doing. Because, and they would have been in Jerusalem, so they would have been a, a part of those in the crowd and, and kind of saying that. So he, he kind of laid that, that weight on them, and they're like, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And so Phil might have said the same thing. And so, yeah, if you want to follow Jesus, repent of your sins. Come to Jesus, follow Jesus, be baptized. And so, because you know, he, he takes something that was said, and he's like, hey, look. There's water over there. Let's do it now. Let's, go, let's get baptized, right? What prevents me from being baptized, right? So, and, and Philip says, nothing, right? There's nothing uh, that prevents you, know, prevents you from being baptized. And so this shows, you know, this is, this is a portion of Scripture that you know, those that, that, that support baptism, we support baptism, we have baptism services, um, you know, uh, if somebody was like, I came to faith, I want to be baptized now. I mean, typically we kind of go through a process, but what prevents somebody from being baptized right away? Nothing. We just, as a church, kind of do it in that way where we want to make sure that the person's testimony is, is true, especially at a time uh, where, you know, that time people weren't just coming to faith for political or advan- advantageous reasons. And so, um, you know, or their parents were Christians, so I'm supposed to be a Christian. So sometimes, like, it's good to go through a process to kind of pause and think about it, you know, to give a testimony to the church as a witness to others. And so that's kind of why, you know, we do it in the way that we, we do it as a church. But there is no reason why you come to faith, you can be baptized. Um, and so it doesn't, you don't have to have somebody special do it. Uh, Philip does it. Um, and he baptizes him. Now, how is he baptized? He goes to water. He's dunked in water, right? So that also gives credence to, uh, you know, when you do baptism, you know, dunk him in water. And there's a symbolism that, that goes along with being buried with Christ and resurrected uh, into the faith um, with, with him. And so we see that in others. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it, it definitely could have been. So we don't know whether it's you know uh, whether it's water. You know, here it is. There's water right there. I mean, could have been again. Like, yeah, let's go do it. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, so very well could have been could have been in in the Mediterranean. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. 
And we don't know how long he, you know, he sat and talked with them, you know. He just was along for the ride. Um, and it says, so then they, then they go, kind of finishes off, then they go their separate ways. Um, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, um, so they came up out of the water, they, they, he baptized them, they came up out of the water, and then all of a sudden, what happened? The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. So this is one of those, you're like, was that like teleportation? I mean, is it like, you know, what does that look like? Um, and honestly, we don't know. That word for carry is the same word that is, is or similar root of the word that is uh, for the rapture, um, is taken up or snatched. It's when Satan snatches the seed, um, and when Jesus is telling the parable of the, the seed and the soils. Um, it's, it's kind of grabbed. Um, some would say that Philip was all of a sudden grabbed in, like, you know, in his heart to just like bolt out of there and, and get out of there. Um, just like uh, Paul was, we'll see, is prevented by the Holy Spirit from going to a particular place. He's compelled in some way. But as we kind of understand, like, the, you know, when the rapture says they'll be taken up together in the air, it's like, seems like there's a physical <laughs> taking up. And so, very well that, like, he's just taken. <laughs> that this guy's like, see you later. You know, like, you know, that he's, he's gone. Remember, like, when Jesus was kind of, like, you know, uh, like, carried off in the clouds, um, that they're just kind of sitting there, like, the apostles are just kind of looking out at the sky, and the two men, you know, that were standing there were like, "What are you? What are you wondering about? Jesus is going to come back in the same way." And so it just says he's he's carried away. Um, there's other places in Scripture that we see. Uh, I think uh, Elijah was described as being uh, uh, re- taken up. You'll be seized and taken up um, and be hidden for a while uh, from Ahab um, and, and some other places. So not un- not you know uncommon, but definitely. Not common, like this doesn't happen. This is the only time that we see this in Scripture. But the first time, the angel says, go, right? And he's on his own, going there. And then he's just taken away. And it says he's taken away to, um, to a town called Azotus. Now, the, the great thing is, right, this seems like this guy's faith was genuine. He gets baptized, and he's rejoicing. I mean, that was bizarre, but he's like, he doesn't really care, right? He's like... You know, I'm going to keep going to where I'm going, but he's just, you know, rejoicing because the Lord has opened up his eyes to see who Christ was, who this Messiah was, and confirmed that. And so it says that wherever he is on this road, you know, it could have been he went to Gaza, maybe he did get, you know, the Mediterranean would be here, or all here, um, and that maybe he was, he was saved there, maybe there was some sort of water on the way. Um, Azotus was not too far. It's about 20 miles, I think, north of. Uh, let's see. I think I read, read there. Um, maybe it's closer than that. Um, but just outside of of Gaza is a town there that he's just transported. So he's taken out of this guy's life and and put in this new place. He's found there, and as he went through there, he preached the gospel. And it says he preached the gospel all the way to, you know. 60 miles north of there, of Gaza, um, uh, or north of Azotus, is a place called Caesarea. Next time we see Philip, his name mentioned is that he's actually called Philip the Evangelist, and he's living in Caesarea. 
that might have been where he was wanting to go, you know, uh, on his way as he was fleeing and stopped in Samaria, and then God, you know, backtracked him and moved him down to Gaza. But again, he was just obedient to go. But they went their separate ways. Um, and, uh, you know, the, seemingly the eunuch went back to where he was from, and Philip, you know, went to the place that he was maybe originally intending to go uh, all along. Now, why do you think, why do you think God kind of did that? Why do you think he, why do you think he like pulled them apart like that? Okay. Yeah, there might have been a, a, a compulsion on Philip to like stay and you know maybe even go with him. You know, make sure you're like I'm. You know, Philip's just kind of he's got nowhere to go really. I mean, seemingly like he was in Jerusalem and then this persecution happened. And he fled and you know, so you know, and then the, the angel directed him, and so he might have felt like you know maybe I should be going with you. And at this point, the angel's like, nope. Like this is what I this is what you're here for, right? This is this is this is the the. Okay, so uh, he, he's got, what's that? Psalms 37.23. So, you are saying what, that this man, his... <laughs> so the why is, because that's what God wanted, right? So... <laughs> Why well, is that? That's what God wanted. I mean, you know, it's like that wind. I mean, the Spirit carried like so. Uh, he was, uh, he was an instrument. Mm-hmm. And you pause and you just say, you know, why did why did God set up this encounter? It's kind of really interesting. I mean, we only we have like one chapter on this guy Philip. He goes to Samaria, preaches the gospel. You, know, you see, like now the gospel is spreading to this this kind of group again, half Jewish. You know, maybe in their mind. Uh, and then he goes to this eunuch, kind of, again, interesting, like this one person who is in a place that is never mentioned again in Scripture, um, and then has this kind of miraculous encounter. I think the exciting part about this portion of Scripture is that you just see how God can sovereignly act in any way that he wants to act. You know, this is, this is one of those passages of Scripture when people are like, well, what about the people who have never heard the gospel? You know, you say, well, I mean, here, God, if he wants the gospel delivered to a particular person in a particular way, can use whatever means that he is, does necessary. Now, this is, again, not the norm uh, that we see in Scripture. The norm is, go to this place, and as you go to this place, you know, preach the gospel, and I'll just maybe, you know, maybe check out the next place. I might, you know, when we see Paul's life, you're going to be run out of town. So you just run out of town and you have to go to the next place because you don't have that town to stay in. And you go to that town and they run you out of town. And so, you know, but as he's, as he's going, he's preaching the gospel uh, along the way. And this is just, you know, go here, preach to him, see you later. You know, I just had you for a one-time mission and that was it. Um, and so sometimes that's just kind of how God prompts us. But again, when the Lord, you know, speaks to us, he prompts us. We have the responsibility to be obedient. He could have run up to the, the chariot and said, hey, what do you think you're reading? The guy could have said, get lost, you know, and like that was it, right? Uh, that probably wouldn't have made it in Scripture because um, that's not, you know, not noteworthy. 
But um, that happens a lot to us, right? We may feel prompting, and we talk to somebody, and we're like, oh, that wasn't it, right? And then sometimes the Lord, again, opens up that opportunity to, for the person to respond, like, yeah, I have no idea what, I'm, what, what it is I'm reading. Or like, you know, you, like, hey, how are you doing? Like, I don't know, things aren't, aren't very good. Like, most of the times when you ask that question, hey, how, how are things? And you know, most people say, like, yeah, things are good, right? But every once in a while, you get somebody who says, like, things aren't really good that, right then. And then you're like, okay. Like, here's a moment, like, for me to just kind of, like, stop and talk to you or maybe, like, set up another time to, like, you know, like, that's when God kind of allows these ministry opportunities. And we just get to see a glimpse of how God's providence, you know, one guy just kind of going along his way, reading something, um, and then going, you know, going to where he's going. I've, I've had several encounters where I've been either reading the Bible or reading a certain book or something, and somebody just says, oh, what are you reading? And then, you know, a conversation starts. I've also had plenty of times where, Nobody wants to say a thing. <laughs> you might hold your Bible up and be like, read uh, for everyone to see. <laughs> so sometimes people want to stay away from that, right? But, you know, sometimes the Lord, again, opens up those opportunities. And uh, we get to see how God is faithful and sovereign at the moments that he allows those things to happen. He wanted this guy saved um, for whatever reason, whether it is to share the gospel to other people. Probably had that part of his plan because that's what all believers are commanded to do. But... That was it, and then we get to see a glimpse of God's providence in this encounter, and then they go our separate ways. And sometimes we have those encounters where we just had a conversation with somebody, and that was it. We went our separate ways. We have no idea whether what we said had any lasting value. You know, not always. We don't always get the opportunity to like, you know, see it to baptism, right, within that encounter. But maybe something that you said resonated with somebody, and then that leads to somebody else who says something to them, and then leads to something else, and then. They finally, the Holy Spirit is continuing to kind of guide them and prompt them to, uh, to understand the truth. And so, again, these are just portions of Scripture that uh, help fill us up uh, and encourage us as we go about our daily lives, knowing that the Lord is at work. We just have to be open to see how He's at work, because He's at work always and everywhere.